0: Mark chapter 9, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 13. And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came over and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has come, and they did to him, they did to Jesus, whatever they wished, as it is written of him. I've entitled this message, The Purpose of Mountaintop Experiences. And these guys have a mountaintop experience. And we've kind of borrowed that phrase. And we talk about going on retreats and things like that and having a mountaintop experience. And it's a time, you know, for us in this culture, maybe when we get away for a weekend or we take a vacation or something. And, it's, and we take a vacation for the purpose of being spiritually refreshed and taught and, and kind of, you know, meditate on the Word of God and, and just kind of draw close to the Lord and push push the things of the earth away, you know, busyness, and et cetera. And we have those moments. And we talk about mountaintop experiences like we maybe go away on a retreat or something and we, and we come back so refreshed because we were able to get away and we were able to kind of, kind of recalibrate our thinking, recalibrate our, our emotions and our psyche and our spirituality and all those things maybe come home with a, a list of things that we need to get out of our lives and a, yeah, a list of things that we want to add to our lives. So we have this experience, this fresh experience with Jesus. And really, in so many ways, that, that, that description uh, lines up exactly with what these disciples experienced with Jesus. Now, Pastor Rob had taught last time, back in Mark chapter 8, um, Jesus had been initiating the conversation with the disciples uh, number one about who do people say that I am, and Peter responded, "Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God." This is especially uh, uh, shown to us, especially in the Gospel of Mark, and and uh, Jesus told Peter in the Gospel of, uh, excuse me, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. You have a heavenly insight. You know, this is a keen understanding uh, that, that God has given you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you that I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one of God, I'm sent to be the Savior of the world. You didn't learn that through human logic. My Father in heaven showed that to you, you know, and so that's wonderful. Uh, And then he began to explain to them about how he must suffer and be mistreated by the religious leaders of Jerusalem and, and of the of the nation. And then Peter, after having this wonderful you know, revelation from heaven, pulls Jesus aside and says, no, 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 that, that doesn't sound good. You know? And so it's just really interesting to me that how we as people who, who have hearts for God can be so right one moment and so wrong the next. You know? And so basically Jesus told him, you know, you're thinking like a mere man. This is human logic. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you want to protect me. Thank you that you want to save me. But you're thinking like a mere man. And he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. And not that he's calling Peter Satan, but I think Satan used the love that that Peter had for Jesus to try to persuade Jesus from going to the cross. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, where does that leave us? We're in a lot of trouble. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, he's probably going to be elected as king. They'll drive out the Romans and they'll have a great 80 years or something, you know, while he's alive or something like that. But that's it. There's no salvation for mankind. So Peter, in one moment, is is so heavenly-minded, and then with good intentions and with familial and brotherly love, the next moment is so earthly-minded. And so that's where we kind of leave off the story. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom that's going to come because of his death and suffering and resurrection. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 1, and the the conversation, chapter 9, verse 1, probably goes with the previous passage. But then he says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then that's what, what happens subsequently after that, six to eight days later. The, the, the Gospels have it a little bit differently. About a week later, chapter 9, verse 1 happens. But I want you to consider what had they already known about Jesus. This is, they've been with him maybe three years plus or minus here. They're coming down to the last six months of his life. Just follow the notes. This is real easy. I'm just going to read through it. You guys, you guys are familiar with all this. So they had a history with Jesus. They had heard Jesus teaching. This is, this is an accumulation of things from the Gospels. They had heard the Sermon on the Mount. Amazing. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They had heard Jesus teach on fasting and explain about that. They had heard teaching regarding the Sabbath that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was revolutionary in their in their time. They heard the parable of the sower, where Jesus said, if you don't understand this, you'll never understand any of the parables. And then he goes on to share the kingdom parables. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like this, and helps them to understand, you guys are being drafted and, and initiated into a new kingdom. It's not the kingdom of man, it's the kingdom of heaven. And if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is need, the way you need to think, and this is the way that the, the kingdom of heaven works, and this is This is the economy and this is the the working parts and the mechanics of the kingdom of God. So he's given them all these amazing teachings. They had seen the miracles of Jesus. I'm just going to go down the list. He cleansed the leper. He healed the centurions, the Roman centurion's servant. An amazing thing where he didn't even have to go to his house and the Roman centurion recognized that. healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed the multitudes, calmed the wind and waves. A few weeks ago we saw Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Healed two demon-possessed men. Later, a blind man, a blind and mute demon-possessed man. Healed a paralytic that was on the mat there in the Gospel of John. The one that, there was another one that was lowered through a roof. young girl was restored to life. A woman with an issue of blood was healed. Two blind men healed. A mute man healed. The twelve at one point were empowered by Jesus, sent out to preach the Gospel, to cast out demons, uh, to do that ministry that Jesus was doing. They had tremendous success. They came back reporting all these things to Jesus. These are all the things that, that, that we did because you sent us out and you, and you empowered us. I suspect we'll hear that same kind of thing from the Mosleys as the Lord is sending them out and empowering them. And then Jesus said, that's all great, but the thing you really need to be happy about is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your names are written in heaven. You're part of the kingdom of God. The Sabbath healing of a man with a withered hand which got Jesus in a lot of trouble with the the religious authorities. The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. The healing of the Gentile woman's daughter. The healing of many Gentiles. So they had seen Jesus in action. Tremendous exposure to the power of Jesus Christ, the working and the power and the intentions of the kingdom of God. They had heard the teachings. They were immersed in it. Of all the people alive on the earth at that time, they were the ones that had the most insight in what it meant to be part of the kingdom of God. They had had dialogues with Jesus. As I referred to earlier, the sending of the twelve, which included explanation of their ministry, the warning of the twelve regarding persecutions, Peter realizing that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus teaching regarding building his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Dear brothers and sisters, never forget that Jesus is building the church. We never want to lean on man's wisdom or logic or clever ideas. I get emails and other pastors get emails about how to get people in the church. If if I did some of those things, I guarantee we'd have more people in the church, but they would be here for the wrong reason. They'd be here for to be entertained or some other thing, which we're just not going to do. We, we intentionally here, it's a very stripped-down ministry that we have. We try to love each other, we pray, we, we teach the Word of God, we try to serve God and people, bless the church and reach out to our community. And, it, and it's a no-frills thing, but frills get in, in, in the way of the best thing, which is the working hand of God. And so, not to congratulate us, I mean, that's just, we're, you know, we're just simple, you know, hopefully responsible, faithful servants. That's his plan. That's his plan for the church. So that was not intended as any kind of, you know, a backhanded compliment to anybody else at all. Jesus told them about his coming death and resurrection. Jesus taught them the cost of discipleship. We can never forget this. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to pick up your cross and follow him. And the cross was that... Uh, object of, of death in, in that day, death to self. And so guys, if you're following Jesus, we are constantly saying no to us. In any, in any way that, that, that my desires collide with his desires, I have to determine my desires will not usurp his desires. I have to follow him. That's a choice I need to make all the time. Don't always make it successfully, none of us do, but we keep recalibrating and coming back and say, Lord, you first, you first, you first. So he's been teaching them all these things. They are up to their spiritual, mental, emotional, psychological eyeballs with the things of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And yet there's another thing he wants to do with them. He wants them to see him as he really is. And so it's the Father's plan now to give them a mountaintop experience. And we'll see why as we get to the end of the study. They received now a greater revelation of Jesus, more than they had ever received before. So, Mark chapter nine verse two. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and He was transfigured before them. That is that is a fulfillment of Mark chapter nine verse one. Now, some people have said Mark chapter nine verse one is that Jesus is saying, "My kingdom is going to come in its fullness before some of you die." And so the commentators that, kind of, that I don't particularly agree with say that Jesus was wrong, he miscalculated the time of his own return, those kinds of things. Obviously the kingdom of Jesus didn't come back before all the disciples died, so Jesus had it wrong or this or that. What I think he's saying is, and remember this, guys, in the Gospels, Jesus on, on numerous occasions told the people listening to him, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here. It's here and not yet in its fullness. It's, it's here this is a thing that the pastors and teachers say. It's here, but not yet. Is the kingdom of God among us right now? Yes or no? Yes, it absolutely is. Wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst and he's the king. Is the kingdom of God here in its fullness? No, not yet. Yes, but not yet. So what I think Jesus is saying in, God, in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Jesus is going to say, basically, I'm going to take off my Clark Kent suit, Superman reference, and you're going to see me in my glory. You're going to see me in my power. You're going to see me in the exalted person that I am. And I believe that this is what's happening here. It says he was transfigured before them. From the Greek word we get metamorphosis. It means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Some really keen insights by some wonderful Bible scholars. They said this, the wonder wasn't that the glory of Jesus was finally seen by men. The greater wonder is that Jesus normally veiled his glory in human flesh. It's not, it's, it wasn't a, an amazing thing To them, it was amazing. The disciples, obviously, to them it was amazing because they were used to just seeing him as one of them. But really, the greater amazing thing was that they usually didn't see him as he was. You guys, uh, David Gusick says this, this transfiguration or this unveiling of who Christ was was not a new miracle, but the temporary cessation of an ongoing one. Make sense? You guys know this Christmas song. I love it. Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Charles Wesley. He talks about this veiling of Christ, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, but walking around looking like just a man, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, mild, he lays his glory by, Mount of Transfiguration, he takes his glory back up. But most of the time, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. I'm feeling Christmas right now. I just gotta say I need a cookie. (laughs) That's the greater thing. That for you know ninety nine point nine percent of his incarnate life, he just looked like us. But if you will, underneath that was the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, and this is the New Living Translation, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. A fancy word for that if I can remember it right is the effulgence. Jesus is the effulgence. He's, he's the outshining. Take away the veil and Christ just shines out the glory of God. And that's what these guys are that's what these guys are experiencing here on the mount of transfiguration. They were allowed to see Jesus in his glory. Luke chapter 9, verse 31, a parallel passage tells us that Moses and Elijah were there speaking of Jesus' coming death. So these guys see Jesus and then suddenly Moses and Elijah, these long dead ancestors of, of the nation of Israel, they are seen there. Moses, if you may not know, represents the law. He kind of dictated the way the nation of Israel was supposed to live, presenting them the laws of God. Elijah was a prophet. And so we see here kind of two heads of the nation of Israel, the one that represents the laws of God, the one that represents kind of the prophets, that prophetic voice of all the prophets. They're together discussing the ministry of Jesus Christ. They're speaking in type and directly about the suffering that he would go through and about what what that would accomplish. So basically they're having kind of a, a committee meeting and the disciples get to sit there and listen they're being exposed to more of the kingdom of God. They're being exposed to more of the person of Jesus Christ. We do well to go out into the world to talk about Jesus when we've done well to learn of him first. And not just learn of him in our heads, but learn of him in our hearts. And I've just been holding back on, on bragging about the Mosleys, but I'm so, I'm so proud of them. And they've had all this head knowledge, but as Aaron really kind of brought the pastoral thing this morning, don't you think? You see a little pastor there. Next time he comes back, he's going to be throwing it down, so watch out, you know. They're going to learn things about Jesus that have only been, in some ways, just either theory or a developing theory. And now they're going into the laboratory of life, and they're seeing the truth and the power of everything that they've been learning. And they've already been seeing it. Selling their house and selling all their furniture and giving things away. Sorry, guys, I'm going to talk you up a little bit. But really, we're talking up up the Lord here. And I love what Aaron said to me the other day. He said, some people think what we're doing is radical. What we're doing is normal. Not that all of us have to go to Oaxaca, but all of us should just see everything that we have as just stuff. It's just stuff. This isn't radical Christianity. This is Christianity. See what I'm saying? We've redefined normalcy, normal Christianity, as something radical. Why? Because so few people live the normal Christian life. It's just how it is. Francis Francis Chan has written extensively about this idea. So, totally forget what I was talking about. I need coffee. They're seeing Jesus in his glory here, and they're learning about the kingdom of God. And just like we come here and we study the Bible, you guys know that, and we go to life groups and we discuss the Bible and we debate it and we might have differing views and all of that. But they're learning, guys, but the application time is coming for them because Jesus is going to go to the cross He's going to be brutalized first, go to the cross, be in the tomb three days, and they're going to be fearing for their lives, and then he's going to be raised from the dead, and they're going to see him in his resurrection glory, and then he's going to ascend back to heaven, and now the ministry is theirs, and what they are experiencing here is going to carry them through the rest of their lives. Mountaintop experiences are to equip you to get it done, both internally and externally. I've adopted a phrase, and it might be a little bit not quite right, and my wife's probably cringing in the front row saying, Oh, gosh, what's he going to say? Lord, please help him, you know. But sometimes we study the Bible so much and we don't live it out that we get spiritually constipated. <laughs> Hope that's okay. Well, I'm not going to be the pastor after October, so whatever. <laughs> You're going to see the real me now the next few months I'm teasing. We just get so just clogged up. And I'm not trying to be gross or anything. It needs to come in and it needs to go. We need to take in the kingdom of God. These guys are taking in the kingdom of God. And what they are experiencing is for the purpose of them living it out in the world. And then these 11, Judas, of course, went his own way. But these 11 and those who joined them, they changed the history of the world. And Jesus has taken them all, all He's he's lived out in front of them. He's spoken to them. They've seen the miracles. They've had these amazing discussions and everything. And Jesus, it just seems to me, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a little more now. And by the way, you're going to need it. I'm going to give you a little more because you're going to need it. And I'm going to make that point more clearly as we get down to the bottom here. But this is all going to be translated into life experience. It's not going to be theory for them. At some point, it's going to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And they're going to go, oh man, that's true. I believed it was true, but now I know it's true. We lived it out. We walked, through, we walked in it. Look at Peter's statement down here in, in, chapter, in chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. This is Peter's first response. Peter's just a good guy, you know. And he says, Rabbi, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he didn't know what to say because he was greatly afraid. Let's just camp here. Let's just stay here. Let's stay on the mountaintop, you know. But nothing changes. If they stay on the mountaintop, there's no crucifixion. There's no payment for sins. There's no kingdom of God that goes beyond the lifespan of Jesus Christ and his natural life. None of it happens. It's been said uh, that there are two kinds of speakers, those who are not afraid to speak and those who speak because they're afraid. (laughs) And Peter just doesn't know what to say, so he just says something, and it's just totally the wrong thing. And, you know, he could probably get a church committee that would agree with him. And they would create a new budget to best, buy the best Coleman tents for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Yeah, you know, it just makes sense, humanly speaking. But Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. In fact, the Father from heaven, look at verse 7, and a cloud came over and overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, be quiet. <laughs> There's one voice that we need to listen to. It's Jesus' voice. Peter, nice try, good intentions. Thank you, my my child. Wrong. You're getting this experience not so you can stay here. You're getting this revelation, this deeper revelation of God so you can go, so you can serve me. There's some incidental thoughts that I have for you guys. Notice the disciples' reactions compared to others who have been with God. God. Others who have been with God, you know, we read about them. They're, they're on speaking tours and write books and all this. And I can't say that they didn't see the Lord. They had a near-death experience or a death experience or whatever and they see the white light in the tunnel and all those things. I can't say they're wrong. I can't, I can't deny that. But, but when, biblically, when we see people having an experience with God, it, it's humbling and they're on their face and their lives are changed. And it's just an amazing thing. Being in Jesus' presence is awesome. But But we 're not supposed to stay on the mountaintop we 're not just a, just supposed to consistently bask in the glory. And we even have some songs, and I appreciate the, the sentiment and the emotion be, behind the songs that say, "Lord, we 're here, we want to experience your presence, and it is wonderful to experience the presence of the Lord. And those special moments when you 're praying and, and, and worshiping and uh, you know they, there have been times in my life when I 've even just Just had physical experiences of like, wow, Lord, ah, it's really you. But we're never just supposed to stay there. There's life down the hill. Okay, fantastic, we had our time. Now get back down the hill. Because down there, there's a a father and his son is demon-possessed and they need you. And that's what's what's next week. Immediately after this, they face a demon-possessed kid and an unbelieving, unsure father. So... Fantastic to have those moments with God, but it's not for us just to stay there. I love verse 8. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Ultimately, that's where it needs to end up, right? It needs to end up with us just kind of looking around and saying, man, church was great, and the worship team was really on it today, and the preacher was great, and the coffee and the donuts were amazing, and all. But then at the end of the day, you're just you're, where's your attention? It's on Jesus. And, that, and that's, that's what should happen. We should go away, or you know, go from day to day being amazed with Jesus. I hope you pop out of bed every day honestly and say, "Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. You've given me another day to love you and serve you and to love people. You've changed me so much. Hopefully you are being changed by, by God's goodness and His grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, and you just pop out of bed and it's like, "Wow! Honestly, you know, I think Christians are the most blessed people on planet Earth. And that might sound arrogant to some people and all that, and it's not because of who we are, it's because of who He is. Amen, guys? It's wonderful. I love being a Christian. I love, I love knowing Jesus. I, I love being not the same guy I used to be. I love it. And so, we. we you know, we... They saw Jesus only. It's just, that's the desired result of the mountaintop experience. Not staying on the mountaintop. But taking that moment of equipping, that moment of revelation, and saying, now, Lord, here I am, use me. So, kind of summarizing here, if you have any questions, I think the number's up there, you can text them in, and I'll try to answer any questions. The purpose of the mountaintop experience It was to have a clear understanding of Jesus and his kingdom. This is kind of a summary here. I've already said it. I'll say it again. They had experienced the incredible ministry of Jesus and his humanity. Nothing like it to that point on planet Earth had ever happened. Nothing like it. It was needful for them to see Jesus in his glory and hear about his coming death. Now that didn't fit into their plan. That did not fit into what they envisioned ought to be happening. They knew enough to understand that this was about the coming kingdom. They understood somehow that Jesus was initiating the kingdom. They had the right desire, but the timing was off. And some of the the particulars of the new kingdom were off. But they had a good expectation. And they were trying to push it along. They knew that Elijah would be a forerunner to the kingdom being established. Old Testament prophecies. Jesus explained to them the dual application of the Elijah ministry. They said in verse 11, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is a forerunner to the return of Christ. I believe in the book of the Revelation, uh, where is it, uh, Revelation chapter 11, it speaks of two witnesses. am not going to get into detail here. Two witnesses that are going to be speaking to the nation of Israel in, the, in, in that great tribulation period. I believe it's Moses and Elijah. I believe it's these two guys. So before Jesus comes back in his glory with all of his saints and establishes the millennial kingdom, Moses and Elijah. But this was kind of a prefiguring. And John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah and got the nation ready. So Jesus calls him a type of Elijah, and that's what that was about. Now finally, purpose of the mountaintop is to understand the Jesus and his kingdom. Guys, we need to understand Jesus and his kingdom. On Wednesday nights here, uh, for the rest of the summer, as as often as I'm here, we're going to be doing some studies on the the kingdom parables. It's really gotten my attention lately, in case you didn't notice. I've been using that, that terminology here. We are citizens if you're a Christian you're a citizen of a kingdom. We better be very aware and we just want to stay freshly aware of what it means to be a citizen in a kingdom. You know, there's a big debate about immigration and this and all that and but I think everybody however immigrants get here, I'm not here to defend or attack anybody on that. Politics is down the list for me. I vote and I keep it to myself. Okay. But if you come into the United States, you need to learn what the United States is about. And how to function as a citizen. If I move to Romania, I need to learn how to function as a citizen, as a citizen of Romania. Whatever, whatever nation you call your home, whatever kingdom you call your home, you need to learn what it means to function in that kingdom. And we are citizens of a kingdom, dear brothers and sisters. And sometimes we forget what that kingdom is about and how those citizens sh- should act and how we should live and how the kingdom works. So as often as I'm here for the rest of the summer, Wednesday nights, that's what we're going to be looking at. I'll be on some missions trips a little bit, but I'll be around. But here Jesus, I believe, is giving them a clear understanding. This is what the kingdom is about. This is what my father's like. This is what I'm like. This is how we think. This is how it functions. These are the goals. These are the purposes. These are the things we don't do. They're understanding the kingdom of God, and they're going to be used to extend the kingdom of God around the world. So they're having a revelation of Christ to know how great the King is. He's so much more than we've known over these last three years. Did you see his glory? It's one of those moments. And as I said previously, this is going to carry them. It's a, this, this mountaintop experience is also preparation for the difficult times ahead. The disciples had trouble with the idea of Jesus dying and that that was part of the plan of God. We see that in the different Gospels. They anticipated an earthly kingdom that would be set up soon. At his arrest, they would scatter in fear. They would run for their lives. After his entombment, they would hide in fear for their lives, being afraid that they would be also arrested because they were followers of Jesus. Their human understanding was limited. And because of that, they were in danger of falling away. And I'm I'm persuaded that they needed this, if you will, kind of a final affirmation about who they were following. The mountaintop experience would one day reinforce their faith, and we know they would all face death for their faith. And I'm convinced that this moment would strengthen them to even take their faith to their death. Look at here, look at, at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. 2 Peter is written, obviously, by Peter. And by the way, the Gospel of Mark is, is very likely Peter dictating to Mark. So it seems as though, a lot of people think so, I think there's some credibility to this idea. The Gospel of Mark it has kind of Peter's fingerprints all over it. So this final statement here, We'll close with some worship. We're going to be some people down here to pray for you. We want to close just responding to the Lord. But I, I'm persuaded as Peter here is facing his impending soon death. He's soon going to die. He writes about that in Second Peter. He, he anticipates, as he said, this tent will be taken off. He's going to, he's going to die uh, under the Roman, uh, under Roman um, persecution. Look what he writes here, you guys, about his life. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Did that mountaintop experience help Peter down the road? Yes or no? Answer is yes. Absolutely. How do you get further down the road? By experiencing more of Jesus now. That's how you get further down the road. What moves a young family to sell everything they have, pack up a van, and move to another country because they've seen Jesus? What moves somebody else to forgive an abusing relative that, that has abused them and mistreated them ever since they were a child because that forgiver has experienced Jesus? What, what, what moves a person who has the wonderful gift of being able to make money to give it away because they've experienced Jesus? Jesus. We are not following, guys, cunningly devised fables. I'm not a motivational speaker, though you may be motivated. I'm not giving you my spiel. It's the gospel that we study here, right? Amen? Amen. We are not following man, some man-made thing. We are following a historic Jesus who historically died and was raised from the dead and was, was taken up to heaven and who was historically poured out his spirit upon a group of people who went out and changed the world. And it is experience with Jesus on the mountaintop that gets us through life down in the valley. But if you're having trouble, if I may say this lovingly, with a smile on my face, if you're having consistent trouble life down in the valley, you need to get up on the mountain for a while. Whatever that means. Get off the internet. Get off of Netflix. Get away. Read your Bible more. You need to experience Christ. And your own little mountaintop experience, whatever that looks like, you need more of Jesus so that you can live out life down in the valley. And as soon as they came off the mountain, and I love this passage next week, as soon as they come off, Satan's right there, right there, tormenting some poor kid trying to kill him. And Jesus takes over. But we need the mountaintop experience. We need to see Christ so that, so that experience will, will, will stabilize us in the trials of life. Let's finish reading this and then try to answer any questions if there are any. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. That voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I bet Peter was thinking, Why did I ever say that thing about the tabernacles? Why did I ever say that? Oh, well, it's okay, you know. He's not referring to that anymore. He's just saying he's talking about the voice from heaven. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Not too shortly after that, Peter would lose his life. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Reach out and touch him and say that I love him. Open my ears, Lord. Help me to listen. How's the rest of it go? Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your, your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Guys, we need, we consistently, regularly need fresh experiences with Jesus. If you're neglecting that privately, if you're neglecting it privately, life in the valley is like a living hell. And life in the valley is hellish anyway, isn't it? It is. But we, 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 we will not navigate well. We'll be saved in the valley, but we won't navigate well and may not make much of a difference down in the valley if we're not having our times on the mountain. And that's up to good, dear brothers and sisters. I can't do that for you. That's up to you. I mean, you might get a little bit out of this, but that's your life with Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, seek the Lord. Taste the Lord and see that he's good. Is the cost of discipleship going to be perpetual suffering? No, the cost of discipleship is is consistent obedience. My wife and I went down to Mexico, as you guys know, for 10 days. And it, part, of, part of it was suffering, and then there was lobster on the beach, which was suffering. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a life of misery, but is there a cost? Absolutely. Is, is it joyous for a woman to have a baby? Absolutely. Is it pain-free? Not a bit. I remember after Debbie... After she, after she gave birth to Sarah, she says, let's have another one. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> Do you know what you just did? <laughs> it's that. Sure, it's hard sometimes, but it's good. Life's hard anyway, right? It might as well be good, right? And eternal and heavenly. So it's not the idea of like, I'm a Christian, it's constant suffering. There is sometimes, but not all the time. There's, there's also joy inexpressible. Won't joining my will to Christ improve my life? Absolutely. But as Aaron said very well, sometimes it's harder. I think it's A.W. Tozer that said, if you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. But if you want a blessed life, absolutely follow Jesus. Good question. Any other questions? How was it that Moses had to hide from the glory of God and his face shown after seeing, but a small part of God's glory But the apostles saw Jesus in his glory and were not killed by it or changed physically. So Moses, when he was up on Mount Sinai, let me just kind of answer really quickly. Um, He's receiving the Ten Commandments from Jehovah God, and he says, Lord, I want to see your glory, which was an amazing request. And God said, I can't let you see all of my glory but here, there's a little place in the in a, in a cliff wall, apparently. There's a little, a little place. I'm going to wedge you into the rock, and when I pass by, I'm going to kind of cover, and you can just see my vapor trail. You know? And so God passed by, and so the, the, the experience was so amazing for Moses. He comes down, and his face is shining just from seeing kind of the, 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 the afterburners, if you will, of the Lord. Now, that's a really good question. I would have to think that the disciples, neither did they see Jesus in all of his glory either. That's the only, I've never thought about it. It's a terrific question. I would have to think it may have been a, I don't know, 50% glory or a 70%. Something so that they didn't also just kind of burn up in the presence of the glory of God. The Bible does say nobody can see God and live. So somehow they were shielded, but they saw a lot more of the Lord than they had ever realized. So that's an excellent question. Really, really good. Um, is it just different degrees of glory? Yeah, that's probably... I should have just finished reading the question. That's a great way. Was the glory Jesus showed not his full God-like glory? You guys are smarter than me. Yes. <laughs> yes to that. So that's, that's really well thought out. Good question and good explanation. Anything else? Why did Jesus show his true self to only three and not all of the disciples? I don't know. I don't know. Great question. We'll find out someday. I, don't, I honestly don't know. So one commentator said, and I don't agree with this, but he said because those three were more, more inclined to get in trouble. <laughs> so he had to keep them close. I don't know. Anything else? What's the best way to progress in our head knowledge to heart experience? Fantastic. First, get head knowledge. And you did today. Today you got some head knowledge if you were listening. So there's no playoff games going on. I think probably we were safe. Everybody was off of their phone and all that. So, Today we got head knowledge. Um, So now, how do you get some some heart knowledge? Well, the exhortation today was, grow close to the Lord. So tomorrow morning, uh, a lot of us will wake up and we will feel a nudge from the Lord uh, to, to pick up our Bibles and read. So that's a moment now you have to decide. Hmm, number one, Pastor Bill said I should grow in my knowledge of the Lord. Let's just call that Bible reading for right now. Tomorrow morning you wake up and it's like, I really want to go do this. You know, I've been dying to clean my windows, but I should probably read my Bible first. I could see more clearly out to the street, but I'll see life more clearly if I read the Word. That was clever, wasn't it? I amaze myself sometimes, yeah. And so... So now you're going to have a decision. So let's say you go ahead and you pick up your Bible and you read the Word and kind of go, man, I'm really glad I did that. You know, the windows can wait. I'm really glad I did that. Suddenly you've gone from head knowledge to a heart experience because you obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know you should forgive somebody, but you're having trouble. If you see them on the street, man, you go the other direction. What can you start doing right away? Starts with a P, ends with a R. You can start praying. You can start praying right away. And when I've struggled with that, the people I've prayed for, when I finally do run into them, my heart's ready to receive. Or you can just say, you know what, they wronged me, I'm not going to pray. Then just stay bitter. But it's a root of bitterness and it defiles many people. So if you're having trouble forgiving somebody, start praying and watch. God will bring them to you at Whole Foods, I don't know, in the produce section or something, and you're going to see them and go, oh, wow, that bitterness is gone. How'd that happen? Because you've been praying. It's those kinds of things, guys. That's what we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? We need to be changed. So that's, that's another really, really good question. Any other? Boy, you guys are on it today. Who's going to be the pastor after October? Where are you going? <laughs> I'm not telling you. No, um, I made an announcement last week that effective October 1st, Pastor Rob's going to be leading the church. And so this has been a plan five years in the making. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled. I totally trust him. He's going to do a great job. I'm going to take a, th- a three-month sabbatical, more or less. I'll be back to lead the Mexico trip uh, December 26th. And I'm coming back as an assistant, and I'm going to be around. And I just can't wait to serve under him. And he's, he's a good man. God's called him. So I'm excited for the future of the church. So uh, if you missed that last week, look on our Facebook page. We, we talked about it extensively, so you can, you can see that uh, explanation on our Facebook page. My goodness, Aaron said what they they are doing is normal. How can we do other normal things we read about in Matthew, Mark, Acts, etc.? I alluded to that. Whatever you guys, whatever you know about the Lord already, whatever you know about the Christian life right now, do it. Do it. Do you know to give? Give. Do you know to bless? Bless. Do you know to pray? Pray. Do you know to to read? Read. Do you know to forgive? Forgive. Or start praying for your enemies, those who have spitefully used you. Whatever you know, do it. Because otherwise it just stays up here. And it's, just, it's just theory. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's just, it just doesn't change us. So um, do, do what you know to do. Good questions.